Hello everybody, you are listening to the First Draft Collective, a podcast for discussing and creating stories. I am Paul, and as always, I am with my partner in this endeavour, Thorn Wild. Hello. Um, a little bit of housekeeping first, um, because this is our fifth episode. Yes. And as we are recording this, it is the first week that our first episode has gone live. Yep. Which we're quite excited about. Um, we do record these quite well in advance. So if you were here uh, when we first published the uh, first episode and you've been listening since then, we love you for a start because you're one of the few people who started with us straight away, I guess. Which is what we were expecting. Um, this, this sort of thing takes time to build up and we're fully kind of committed to getting somewhere <laughs> with this that there is a game plan involved but i'm not going to go too much into that uh, right now but um the, the point of the matter is is that since um we record these um so far in advance you'll be listening to you'll pro- hopefully have listened to a number of podcasts before now uh where we've just tried to do the same old thing and for sure chances are we'll be still doing the same old thing for a few episodes going forward but by now hopefully you've listened to um a lot of our stuff if you've joined us um with later episodes or you know with the few that we've got then you hopefully you've gone back and listened to others and you probably have a better sense now of what we are like than we than do, we do. <laughs> um so what so far we have done these podcasts the exact same not quite the exact same way each time i've tried to shake it up a little bit um, but generally speaking, uh, we discuss a topic to start with and then we, um, move on and, and sort of do a little bit of story crafting and play the game, which, uh, sort of helps us along a bit. But, uh, we don't know how you feel about that as of recording this right now. This might change by the time you're listening to this, but still, we, the point is we'd like a little bit of feedback, please. <laughs> we'd like you to tell us how you feel we're doing and what we should be focusing on, uh, what we should be focusing on less. But the, the point of the podcast really is to be open and inspirational and not really focus on kind of the structure of storytelling so much. But deal with the um, with with the kind of imagination that goes behind it, and sort of try and break down walls and and get you to think out of the box a little bit, and us. But um, yeah, so I mean, um, we go through the usual thing of of where you can find us online. But I mean, where the podcast itself is on uh, is hosted on on Podbean, um, and we're featuring on um, on Spotify and Apple. Um, and um, anywhere that gets its RSS from Apple, which is a whole bunch of different uh, podcasting apps, podcasting including apps. like uh, Pocket Casts and yeah, just loads. Yeah. And as always, you can get hold of us on Twitter at, um, at First Draft C or on Facebook at First Draft Collective. And, you know, we kind of want to know your thoughts of how we're doing and um, just generally what we can do better, what you'd like to hear more of. There are other things I want to do in the podcast i think that we can't really do until we start getting more numbers in terms of listenership but when we're there and we start sort of talking to you more often then um you know what we want to do is sort of involve others in the podcast as much as possible as well okay so with that out of the way it uh, is currently pissing down outside yeah you may hear some rain on this recording just so you know it's fine makes it more relaxing yeah if anybody's ever enjoyed rainymood.com while they're writing, then all the better. 
And now I do every so often. You pluviophile, you. Yeah. Yeah, I love rain. Whatever. This is a happy day for me. <laughs> Grey skies, absolutely throwing it down with rain. And I'm here with coffee or tea. We have a choice today. And I am perfectly content today. Good. Right, so what are we doing? Well, last time that we were recording, we were dealing with romance. Nice thing about that is it's very character-driven. We get a little bit of character building done, which we hadn't done before because we'd done more just general plot development and world building and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So we got a chance to do some character development. And I wanted to kind of flip that a little bit this time around and, and do something with antagonists, which we have not focused on yet, really. We have had antagonists in the stories that we've created. We had um, the first story that we did with the jewel thief, the famous musician jewel thief with the real estate brother who was selling off the Tower of London. And that's rather interesting because we treated the the uh, jewel thief as if he was the protagonist, which made the uh, good guy, in inverted commas, his brother trying to stop him, the antagonist, which is an interesting spin, I think. Well, I mean, antagonist doesn't really mean bad guy no it doesn't it just means it means the opposite of the protagonist who is the main character exactly then we had the um the europa reading club story from the second episode that did not have an antagonist no it did not it had a dilemma yes that's probably our least well-developed story so far <laughs> possibly but a rather well-developed world i think yeah uh, then we did the world building for the fancy world, which was just a g general world. We hadn't really set a story in it as such, but we had we had a, a setup for heroes and villains in there, which we're coming back to at some point. We made that world now. We're going to use it. Oh, absolutely. Maybe not today, but we will be using it. And then we have uh, the romance plot, which again didn't really have an antagonist. It was just four people... And their relationships, really. Yeah. Yeah, this time I wanted to talk about villains, and I wanted to talk about conflict, which are two completely different things, really. Mm -hmm. Conflict is just the, sort of the internal, is purely in the internal mechanisms of the plot line. It's, it's something bigger than one person or, or an organisation. Yeah. I mean, conflict is something that can happen between the good guys, doesn't necessarily have to be antagonistic in nature. No, you do not have to be a villain to cause a conflict. No. No. Story doesn't even need to have a villain. Yes. Although in certain genres it is... Expected. Cus customary, I should say. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and then you have just, it's just sort of conflicts which are just all-encompassing that no one has any real control over, like war or you know something that's that's world changing i suppose that the, that the um characters have to contend with zombie apocalypse asteroid hitting the earth that bruce willis has to save us from yeah that stuff like that that sort of thing and i kind of want to deal with conflicts some other time um but i think it kind of comes under what we're talking about in general because i want to build an antagonist but conflict still comes under that because an antagonist is so often not part of it, it can be part of the conflict or not just to use a pop culture example the avengers the movie version yes the main antagonist is loki 
But the conflict there is... Well, there's two conflicts, really. There's the conflict between the Avengers themselves struggling to work together. Yeah. And there's the actual conflict, the sort of underlying bigger threat of the alien invasion and the the possible destruction of Earth. Exactly. Which is a bit more typical superhero. So it's something that we kind of need to touch on. And reasons that I will get into when we get closer to actual construction of this, we'll talk about a little bit more detail then, I suppose. But um, to go back to antagonists, what really makes a good antagonist? What, what in your mind do you feel is our some of the kind of better antagonists in storytelling, regardless of whether they're actually villainous or not. We already mentioned Loki. Yes. Loki, though, I kind of feel is a better example in the movies than he is in the comic books. Yes. Um, He's also an interesting example in the mythology. Oh, in actual Norse mythology. Yes. Yes, absolutely, yes. Although I do do mean both. I I think that Loki in the Marvel Universe... Both the cinematic universe and the and the comics universe as well is very interesting. But I also think that Loki in the are you coming here again? Do we have to do this every time? It's routine now. Invading cat. Anyway, um, I think that Loki in the Norse mythology is is a very interesting character because he is both because he's both antagonist and not. Like well, he's I mean, one, in certain stories he's antagonistic and in other stories he isn't and he's just sort of a very complex anti-hero in certain cases. I mean in the in the comics I think that's fairly normal for not most of the villains but the the core like the top tier core of biggest villains in Marvel mm-hmm. are often as much anti-heroes as they are antagonists because you take a character like um Magneto as mm-hmm. well, who is traditionally the villain of the X-Men story. Yes. But he has been part of the X-Men as well, and he has been frequently depicted as, um, if not the good guy, then certainly sympathetic. Oh, yeah, Because definitely. of his background. Um, so I think that when it comes to Marvel, they have... There's a joke that I've heard in comic book circles that Marvel has all of the really complex heroes, but DC has all of the complex villains. I don't think that's necessarily. I don't think that's accurate. No. No, but so yeah. I mean, I think that um, Marvel does have complex villains. Maybe not as many as as DC does. And there's going to be a lot of people who probably listening to this who probably would have a completely opposite opinion. Marvel fans versus DC fans is something that we're not even going to touch on because that's going to um, split our listening base somewhat. Yeah. So I mean, we we have. In Marvel, a lot of complex characters mm-hmm. that have a lot of in-depth backgrounds that um, have very well-defined reasons for what they do. And then you have, um, in DC, just to give an example of a very different type of villain, the Joker, who has his own depth, but very much is a villain for the sake of being a villain. Yes. And, I mean, he does have... A backstory, but the comics and the movies and various TV shows and everything have been fairly careful to try and not give away too much about what that backstory is. There's a, 
I mean, you've seen The Dark Knight. Uh, there's the, um, the bit where the Joker sort of constantly changes his story about how he got the, the scars. Yeah. Played brilliantly by Heath Ledger. God rest him. <sighs> Great loss. Yeah. And that's the same in the comic books. There's, there's um, a particular uh, line I remember from um, one of the comic books, which is suddenly escaping me right now because there's so many, where uh, the Joker actually tells Batman that if he is to have a uh, backstory, he'd prefer it to be multiple choice. Curie agrees. But the Joker is also probably one of the best-loved villains of all time. So that doesn't necessarily matter, the fact that he doesn't have a well-defined backstory. And, I mean, he was given one in the, the recent um, Joaquin Phoenix Joker film. Which I have not seen. We'll talk about it. I have fairly strong opinions about that film that are not necessarily uh, the same as what a lot of other people feel about that film. <laughs> that's fairly normal for me. But, um, but I mean, that's just villainy. You know, the, the villains in uh, Marvel are... Fairly complex, but at the root of them, you know, if you go back to their origins in the 60s and the 70s, and even ones that are created later, like Venom in Spider-Man, for example, they tend to have their root purely in, in being the bad guy. Yeah. They're a constructed bad guy for the hero. Yeah. But as we pointed out, that's not necessarily just what an antagonist is. No. An antagonist can be someone who is even the good guy in a story. Yeah, assuming it is the antagonist to a protagonist who is not a nice person, then yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm thinking kind of uh, in terms of the likes of Hannibal. Yeah, I was actually just thinking about that. In in those films and that series, which is fantastic. But anyway, in that universe, who is the protagonist and who is the antagonist? Well, I mean, in certainly in the TV show and Hannibal as in the movie... Hannibal is the protagonist, and then the the antagonist is the detective who is trying to track him down and chase him. Yeah. Despite the fact that we know, you know, we, we watch Hannibal, maybe less so in the TV show, but certainly in the movie, we watch Hannibal and recognize a person who is a horrible human being. Yes. <laughs> Complex and charismatic to watch, but, you, you know, he eats brains. So... <laughs> We're kind of programmed as humans, at least I hope so, to recognize that he is a bad guy. And the good guy is the one who we are supposed to root for. But in the context of the story, we're following Hannibal. And even if you are highly, highly disgusted by Hannibal's actions as a character, eating brains, then you kind of... There's something that you know that once the antagonist catches the protagonist in that context, the story's over. So even then, you don't want... You don't want him to get caught. I'd say there's another, there's another similar example, which isn't one, one antagonist and one protagonist, but I'm thinking, about, I'm thinking about The Wire. Yeah. In which, I mean, obviously it's an ensemble cast. You have protagonists on both sides of the divide and antagonists on both sides of the divide. For those who've not seen The Wire, because I've been, it's a bit of an old show right now, we can talk about pop culture references a lot and people will get what we're talking about with Marvel and DC and comic books and all this. But The Wire is a relatively old show. So for those who don't know, The Wire is set in... Um, Boston? Baltimore. Baltimore. I was about to say Boston. No, Baltimore. No, Baltimore. In the height of the 
uh, drug trade um, in the early 2000s. And the story itself, I, I would argue, doesn't necessarily have um, any kind of central antagonist. No, well, it does. Well, not central antagonist, but it has um, it has people on because because the the point is that it is both about the police and the gangs. Yeah. There are protagonists in this show that are police, and there are protagonists in this show that are gangsters, and there are also antagonistic characters on both sides who serve the role of antagonist yes. to different extents. Yeah, both within their particular side mm -hmm. of the police force or the, the gang or across the board where they, the few areas where they interact. Because really each series is, one, is two separate stories. It's yes. the story about the criminals and it's the story about the police. And yeah. It's the investigation in between which sort of links them together. But, but other than that, they're fairly separate. Yes. They're fairly distinct stories within the two of them. Anyway, the, the only point was that, was that uh, you have antagonists who are on the, side of, on the side of the good guys in a traditional sense and on the side of the bad guys in a traditional sense. And you have protagonists who are on both sides as well. So I, I just wanted to point it out as something interesting. We don't have to, you know, discuss it in depth. Yes, that's true. Uh, you also asked about um, good antagonists, and I was going to mention um, Gold Dukat from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, who I think is an excellent antagonist. Yes, definitely. I think he is probably one of the best antagonists of all time. Gold Dukat is actually a sole reason to watch Deep Space Nine if you have. Even if you Not even if you don't like anything else about Deep Space Nine, Gold Dukat is amazing. Yeah, you can basically watch through all of Deep Space Nine and just kind of cut and paste what episodes you watch while ensuring you get all the Gold Dukat episodes. Well, you'll miss out on a lot of character development if you do that, but, um, but yeah. yeah. But you'd still get a fairly good story out of it. Because the thing about Gold Dukat is that he has such an immense arc, developmental arc, he starts out perhaps in the beginning as a kind of straight-up antagonistic, not villain exactly at that point. He's not exactly on your side, but he's not actively kind of a villain either in that sense. But he, um, and at that point, he's just, you know, some guy. And then they just kept bringing him back and bringing him back and bringing him back because both the writers and the viewers really liked him. And so he developed into this, this really complex antagonist who's really quite insane at the end <laughs> but who has all of this i mean he has he has this past and he has all this trauma and he has these sides that are sympathetic and he behaves for what you end up you end up rooting for him at certain points and then you realize that no he's awful it's absolutely horrible <laughs> So it's like you end up with this love-hate character, uh, love-hate relationship to this this uh, antagonistic character. It's interesting, actually, you say that because just to go a bit off topic slightly. The um, you say that having watched DS Nine only once. Yes. Once you go back and rewatch it with the mindset of knowing where he goes, mm -hmm. you won't find him sympathetic at all. Maybe not. You'll, you'll find him sympathetic in the sense of his relationship with his daughter. Yeah. But other than that, you will see the cracks in his facade. Well, he is a psychopath. That's... He is a psychopath. But you, you'll see more of it if we ever go through it again. Probably not anytime soon. Well, unless you want to. But 
Yeah, and that's a good example of a of a good solid antagonist. But it also brings to mind what we've also been doing recently, which is we have been watching mindless nineties action movies. Yes, we have. Well, most of them have been mindless. One of them hasn't been so mindless because we watched um, Crimson Tide. Yes, which we is did. A, a genuinely good thriller. Oh yeah, but just uh, just to to say something about Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide does not really have a villain. No, no, it doesn't have a villain. It has an antagonistic relationship between sort of, I suppose, two factions or... Um, between between um, the, the commander, played the command- by um, Denzel Washington, who is um, of the new guard, the, the new batch of highly trained, trained-to-think officers mm-hmm. in the US Navy, and the old guard. Played by the the, the cap, uh, played by Gene Hackman, who's mm-hmm. the captain, who is of the old guard, who is uh, trained in 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 the way that he describes it. They they gave him uh, a boat, some orders, and a button to push yeah. for the nuclear missiles, and that's that's it. They don't want him to think; they just want him to follow orders. Yeah. And the antagonistic relationship is is the clash between those two mindsets: the one exactly. that wants to. Th- who thinks through orders and the one who just does them. I would argue that while uh, the relationship there is antagonistic and I suppose Gene Hackman's character, the captain, is to a certain extent an antagonist, it's not in the classical sense and the conflict that arises isn't really caused by... or The conflict that arises is kind of caused by both of them and for most of the movie you don't know who's right. No, although I think it is... Highly telegraphed that it's Denzel Washington. Oh yeah, no, it's 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 made so that you will root for Denzel Washington. But if you if you are watching it and you think you don't know who's right, no, and that 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 is, that is where the tension is. I would still, I would still say that the way that the movie is crafted, you are meant to consider Gene Hackman's uh, Captain Ramsey as the antagonist from the start mm-hmm. because he is generally dismissive of. Denzel Washington's intelligence and his education and his and his uh, yeah. and his general mindset his his philosophy it all comes down to philosophy by the end that's a relatively complex action movie yes with a lot of depth to it we also watched Con Air <laughs> which does not have all that much depth no if any <laughs> but John Malkovich is the antagonist and the villain along with quite a few other antagonists in that movie of all various different types but John Malkovich is the main one, mm-hmm. and plays it, even though he is a very two-dimensional villain, he is very charismatic about it, because it's John Malkovich. And then, we, you weren't with me for when I watched uh, the other movies that I've watched recently, which were Broken Arrow, mm-hmm. which is another classic 90s action flick with Christian Slater and John Travolta, where... Again, John. I watched the beginning. You watched the beginning. You you you've kind of phased out the beginning because I think you were quite tired at the time, because you asked me who the villain was, which I think is fairly emblematic of of how that uh, movie is written at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, to sum up, John Travolta, a um, Air Force um, major, uh, steals two nuclear warheads, essentially because. He got tired of being passed up for promotion so many times, so he wanted to make millions of dollars. Wow, what a fantastic and original and in-depth backstory you've got there. <laughs> yeah, but it's John Travolta, so who cares? Yeah. It's John Travolta playing the bad guy. So who gives a shit, exactly. Exactly. And, I mean, 
we already watched Con Air with Nicolas Cage, so at some point we're going to have to watch um, Face Off with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. Oh, yeah. Which is just awesome. Um, but And then the other one that I watched without you is uh, another Nicolas Cage movie, uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. Oh, yeah. yeah. I saw the beginning of that as well. Yeah. Who has Christopher Eccleston in the role as the main villain. Oh, does it? Yeah. I mean, I did not realise that. The, the majority of the story is about basically car thieves who mm. have been given this job to steal um, 50 cars in like 48 hours or something like that. Yeah. A little bit more than that, I think. Um, but the, the, the guy who's given them the orders and who's basically threatening the Nicolas Cage's brother in the movie with death if they don't succeed is played by Christopher Eccleston. And again, he's a very two-dimensional villain of... He's, he's sort of the, the typical kind of um, mob boss kind of mentality. It's like, this is, this is my business. And if I don't fulfill these orders for 50 cars, my client is going to go elsewhere. Mm. So you do this... Or I kill you. <laughs> that's that's effect, that's effectively the, the the mindset. And you know, when you get to that level of antagonism in in sort of action movies, and I mean, we're going to do an episode where we just sort of lock about with with action and explosions um, shortly. But in terms of antagonists, they are not complex. They are not all that interesting on paper you couldn't 90s action movies you couldn't write in prose and make them come across as good no. you have to see them on screen because the only way you can make an antagonist good at that point is to have them played by an amazing actor is this when we mention um that's not i that's not 90s that's 80s isn't it but um die hard and uh, hans gruber yes i mean alan alan rickman is and Hans Gruber is the quintessential example of that because, again, Hans Gruber is not an interesting character in any way, shape, or form. Not in the film, anyway. No. Die Hard, which a lot of people probably don't know, is actually a book adaptation. Really? Yes, it is. It is an adaptation of a book called um, uh, Nothing Lasts Forever from 1979, in which I believe I haven't... I haven't um, read it myself but i found out about this because i was watching the uh this youtuber called dominic noble who does a series called lost in adaptation which i cannot uh recommend enough it, yeah i mean basically if you love literature literature then watch dominic noble because he does a great job of sort of analyzing the the differences between uh, a book and their adaptations into different mediums yes um, and he does other stuff too. He doesn't just do Lost in Adaptation, right? No, he does some. Um, he does reviews and things like yeah, that as well. Yeah, he does reviews as well. Um, but uh, Gruber is a, a rather different character in the uh, in the uh, book. His first name is Anton rather than Hans, for one. He's, he's very different in the book. Um, and I cannot recall currently if the film version is more complex or if the book version is more complex. Because like I said, I haven't read the book myself. <laughs> I mean, there are shallow book antagonists. Oh, yes, absolutely. A lot of them. More often than not, I'd probably say, actually. But the point is that in prose, you have an opportunity to get into the mindset of, a, of an antagonist a lot more than you do in, in a movie. Yeah. And, I mean, a movie, again, is, you know, 90 to 120 minutes long. Yeah, most of the time. So you don't really get a whole chance to put depth in there unless you're doing... A franchise. So it's perfectly understandable why most of these movies have 
villains that are entirely one-dimensional a lot of the time even. Just point to target and shoot, and that's your 90s action antagonist, really. Yeah. But in a prose format, you do get the opportunity to flesh them out. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to, though. No, it doesn't. But I think, this is my opinion, I think most of the time a fleshed out and well-rounded antagonist is a lot more interesting than your moustache-twirling villain. I can't think of anyone who would disagree with that, to be fair. <laughs> Probably not. I, I don't think we're de- dealing with the realms of, um, of controversy when we say that. Probably not. But I think the point that I'm sort of getting around to is that th- there is kind of a place for, for rather more simplistic antagonists mm-hmm. in storytelling. It's just that if you want... To, it, antagonists, it's a shame when you do do that because antagonists are the most interesting characters potentially, in a story that you can have. Oh, I agree. Because if they are antagonists... I mean, again, we're sort of talking about villainy and antagonism as if it's the same thing. But, you know, if we go to the extremes of villainy as your antagonist, there has to be a reason why they're like that in the first place. Yes. And it's fairly simple to just turn around and just kind of went, oh, they're a mob boss, or, you know, they just want money or power or anything like that. But at the end of the day... Even then, there are reasons behind why you become a bad guy rather than using your power or your influence for good mm-hmm. or even just ambivalence. Yeah. So I think to get a really well-rounded antagonist, you have to get to the depths of why everything about their psyche is the way it is. Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have all of that expressed in the story by the way but i think it's important that you as the writer knows and can put in as much of it as is needed for the reader to get a sense of it yeah or the viewer or Or whatever or or whatever medium you're working in we should get back to uh to the next point so we watched um pacific rim where you know giant robots and giant monsters fight each other yes it's not a complex movie (laughs) not terribly no it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. Very anime and manga. Inspired. Inspired. Absolutely. Yeah. But, um, I mean, the antagonists in that are simply aliens from another dimension mm-hmm. who are trying to invade Earth. And are sending these kaiju, these giant, giant monsters. Monsters to attack. And humanity responds by building giant robots because... To fight them. Why not? Because why not? Because Neon Genesis Evangelion, I think. <laughs> yes, or Gundam. Or Gundam. Yeah, either or. There is no depth to that whatsoever. Nope. But within that story, you th- there isn't really... Th- th- there's a conflict. Mm-hmm. There's a conflict between the hero characters. There's a conflict about finding out where the kaiju are coming from and how to stop them, etc., etc. There's conflict between um, the, the the main characters, um, you know, one of which doesn't really want to fight anymore, another which wants to fight but isn't being let by their superior, and yeah. all this sort of intermingling. Which I think is what makes the movie interesting. If it had just been a bunch of people in giant robots fighting giant monsters, it would still have been fun to watch, but I think that... 
those relationships and those conflicts between the characters and the the heroes technically yeah i mean um, is what makes that film i mean interesting the the rather the, than just fun the, the core antagonist in the end is is the aliens yes and the kaiju but i would argue that for the first well not the the first say 15 minutes or so because the first 15 minutes is introducing giant robots fighting a giant monster but for like the middle part of the movie up till towards the end the antagonist of the story is Idris Elba's character um, Marshall Pentecost yes um, it's him but it's also the younger of the uh, Australian pilots right yes is also an antagonist he's a lesser antagonist he's a lesser antagonist but he is he's also definitely an antagonist and I think I don't know. I to me, he felt more antagonistic than Idris Elba's character in some ways, but um, maybe that's just because I love Idris Elba so much. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's two different levels, isn't it? You have the antagonist who is the the superior mm-hmm. in in a lot of ways because it's Idris Elba. Yeah. You don't say no to Idris, Idris Elba. No. Nope. I love the scene. This is going off topic. I love the scene where he um, goes. He, he um, berates Raleigh the the main pilot and then just turns his ear and just points at it as he waits for him to say yes sir yeah because it's Idris Elba and that just makes <laughs> it amazing but I would argue that he is still he's the superior he is he is the the um, main boss in both a gaming sense and and in terms of their relationship with each other off the top of my head if I could choose any actor in the world to play the dom in my BDSM <laughs> work in progress it would be Idris Elba <laughs> if Idris Elba is listening to this by some random miracle and wants to play a script a, at some point and wants to play a dom in a gay uh, <laughs> BDSM erotica it's Idris Elba so anything is possible but my point is yes go ahead you go off on tangents all the time I'm allowed I know but yeah, he is the more complex of the two antagonists in the middle of the story. Yeah, because the uh, the the younger Australian pilot, all he's antagonist about is, you know, oh, you've been out of the game too long, you can't do this. No, but he also blames Raleigh and pilots like him for the uh, for for yeah the program being discontinued because he considers himself a, a superior pilot. Yeah, he's very arrogant, but. At the same time, the the story kind of fizzles out both those antagonistic relationships by the end. Yeah, because everybody has to pull together to, you know. Yeah, because the whole win. yeah, because the whole point is is that we we are we're I mean, united it, against a greater enemy here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not really the point, but from a from, from I a think in a way it is the point, and that that brings me to something that I was uh, actually talking about on Twitter the other day, which uh, is that. It was after we'd been watching these 90s action movies and then after we watched Pacific Rim that I suddenly realized that they don't make them like they used to. I mean, suddenly. They don't. They don't make them like they used to. They don't make action films the way they did in the 90s. And one of the things that has changed the most is the antagonists. Because in most action films that you get now and that you've gotten in the past 10, 15 years, the antagonist is not a regular human. The antagonist is... Um, someone with superpowers or it's a monster or an alien or it's somebody who has vast amounts of money and superior technology so that they can beat their uh, their enemies it's it's never just a person 
No. It's not the terrorist anymore. It's not the it's not the random uh, mob boss. It's not it's it's not that kind of thing. It's changed so that it's humans, it's us versus something that is different from us. Yeah. Or it's superhumans versus supervillains. Like it's one of those two things. But the um the framework of that because like you say that makes sense though because i mean even going back to what we were talking about right at the beginning with avengers and loki mm-hmm. the big threat is loki and the um tesseract tesseract and the chitauri the alien mm-hmm. invasion but then you have the antagonistic relationships between all of the avengers yeah and in fact there's the middle point of the movie where it turns out that nick fury is an antagonist to the rest of the team because he was hiding all of the stuff to do with the the um, alien weapons that they've been yeah. constructing with the Tesseract. And that comes out. And then you have Pacific Rim, where we've already talked about um, uh, the, the antagonistic relationship between the um, main characters. And Idris Elba, who is very much an antagonist in the movie for at least a big part of it. You may be sympathetic, and you may entirely know that he is doing it for hopefully good reasons because it's Idris mm-hmm. Elba and you don't want to think anything of, of him. Not that he hasn't played fantastic villains in the past. No. We could talk about Star Trek Beyond, but I don't think we're going to have time this time. That idea of having a bigger threat and then having a more minor antagonist still was something that kind of occurred in the 90s. Because going back to Con Air, you have... Uh, John Malkovich and the the convicts who are trying to escape on the plane, mm-hmm. and then you have Colin Meany's character, who's just a dick. Who is who is supposedly the good guy? He's trying to catch them, but he, he keeps is, making all the wrong calls. Yeah, but he yeah he's, he's, he's very he's, arrogant. He's very arrogant. He keeps making the wrong calls, and he is entirely antagonistic to the other main. I was about to say good guy, but I mean Nicholas Cage is a good guy. John Cusack is kind of like the second is the is the the secondary supporting character. The supporting the supporting good guy. Mm. In back in those nineties movies where you had a team up kind of movie. So you saw two sides of a conflict, which is quite cool. Yeah, he was the antagonist for John Cusack. Mm -hmm. While Nicholas Cage was still dealing with all the crap that was going on in the plane. Yeah. And of course also um, Crimson Tide as well, which we already mentioned. Um, in a way, Gene Hackman's character is a minor antagonist, whereas the the overarching the, sort of not bad guy, but the overarching conflict, which is the problem, is the nukes. Yeah, and also I would argue that you also have lesser antagonists in the rest of the crew that because the the, the problem, the mutiny that goes on on the on on the Alabama wouldn't have succeeded if Gene Hackman's Captain Ramsey did not have a crew that trusted him more than they trusted the procedures. Yeah. Which Denzel Washington's character was championing. Yeah. So they become lesser antagonists in themselves because although Denzel Washington is doing is going by the book, which the chief of the boat even agrees with. Yeah. Who's known Captain Ramsey a long time, but he knows... Despite the fact that he he hates doing it, but he... um, But he still does it. But he still does it. He's going by the book. But the rest of the crew does not. Well, not the rest of the crew, but the the rest of the officers do not. And they become kind of lesser antagonists in themselves, which kind of makes sense, because they're also very poorly developed. (laughs) (laughs) Not all of them, but... No, but they are fairly stereotypical. Kind of to move on now, because I've been talking about this for a while. 
we have kind of like the, the, the typical comic book villains mm-hmm. where they sort of have a core, I suppose, a core defining trait, which is then developed back. They have like a trait and a flaw and then... And then a backstory that's yeah. weaved in, usually over time. Yeah. And they have become complex characters over a lot of time. Mm. Then you have antagonists who are designed to be complex right from the beginning. Yeah. In Gul'dukat. They might not... Or Hannibal. Or Hannibal. If you're talking Silence of the Lambs. Because Hannibal is also a protagonist. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you have very much uncomplex villains like your 90s action types mm-hmm. that have very little development and are just there basically to get into the way of the hero. Yeah. They're an obstacle to overcome and nothing more, really. And same again, really, with your more overarching big threats like alien invasions and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you've got antagonists who literally are the good guys or part of the good guys, but have a a personality which is antagonistic towards the protagonist. Yes. Which is what you get with Idris Elba and Gene Hackman and... Colin Meany. And Colin Meany. Usually played by awesome actors. Usually played by awesome actors. One thing that we haven't mentioned is the uh, antagonist turned protagonist. Um, well, we we kind of mentioned it a little bit in Hannibal because in Silence of the Lambs he's clearly the antagonist, and then in in other stories he has become the protagonist. But that's not so much to do with character development as it is to do with you know. But you also have antagonists who become heroes or at least antiheroes in stories. I hate to mention it because it's not a great example. Or it, it is a great example, but it's a very unhealthy example, and that's Snape and Harry Potter. Yes. It starts out as very clearly an antagonist, and he continues being antagonistic, but he ends as an antihero. Yes. Uh, another example I wanted to mention is Deadpool, who starts as an X-Men villain. A very With sim- a little bit... Of a symp- it's pretty sympathetic. No, but like the first couple, the first time you meet him is just a, just a bad guy. No, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say it's simplistic villain. Very simplistic. But the same with Wolverine, too. Yeah. Um, but then he sort of develops a little bit and, um, then he turns into this anti-hero and this person who sort of wants to be better, but isn't. Mm-hmm. And so his sort of development throughout the comics is pretty extreme. Of course, in the films, it's a little bit different because he's already that character that he's become in the later comics, but that's a different, uh, a different thing. But that's, that's an example of a villain turned hero or at least anti-hero. Which I think is an interesting trope, if nothing else. Yeah. I'm going to put a pin in that thought. Yep. Because anti-heroes deserve... Their own episode. An all, uh, their own episode on their own. Yeah. So I want to save that kind of discussion for when we do that. Because there's a whole intermingling with anti-heroes between them originally being antagonists, still being antagonists to a degree, they're mainly protagonists now, depending on their medium... They can still be antagonists. They are sometimes protagonists. Yeah, yeah. There's well, a whole thing. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do that. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah. Okay, guys. So that's all we really have time for to this week, I think. This episode is a lot longer than it actually ended up being. Um, but uh, it, it ran way longer than we intended. Yeah. Um, we uh, basically had to cut it in half. So uh, next time you will get the game. Yeah, so next week we'll be actually inserting our own brand of antagonists into our fantasy story, which we created a a couple of weeks back. We hope that you'll join us for that. Uh, We also hope that you'll go and listen to our third episode, where we actually created that fantasy story. Um, 
We don't exactly. If you haven't already. If you haven't already. We don't exactly do these in any particular order, even though we number them episode one, two, three, four. Five. So, you know, just hop in and out as you feel free. And um, if you like our content, then we'll always point you to what uh, times when we've done similar stuff before. But for now, uh, that's all from us. You can follow us on uh, Twitter at First Draft C. Um, also on Facebook at uh, First Draft Collective. And if you'd like to follow me directly on Twitter, it's uh, Thorn underscore Wild with an E at the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that we've actually got this podcast off the ground and it's been uh, going for um, uh, a, a few weeks from our perspective now, we are now on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, yep, Google Podcasts. Yeah, and like every every podcasting app that gets its RSS from Apple, which is all of the small ones. Of them. Yeah, so uh, you'll be able to find us uh, pretty much anywhere. We hope that if you're listening to this, you found us through one of those anyway. Um, but um, if you're a, if you're um, a member of, of any of the above, then um, feel free to follow us on there as well. As for right now, we'll hope to uh, see you again next week. We'll not see you. We hope you're listening to us again next week. Yeah. And uh, take care. Goodbye. Bye.